Hello. The gorgeous Ellen McKenzie. Thank Hello. you for joining me. You are one of the Odd Socks team, the mastermind that is Odd Socks that has been going for 30 years. Yeah, 31 years this year. Can you help us by giving us some uh, background as to what Odd Socks is, who you are, where you are, where you and Andy met, all in the space of three seconds, please, off you go 30, now. 31 years of history. Okay, so Andy and I both met at drama school, uh, training to be actors at the Weber Douglas Academy, Dramatic Art, which is no more, but was there for a very long time. Um, and part of that process, part of our kind of uh, final situation was that we had to work on a Shakespeare piece uh, as a one person show. Uh, we enjoyed that so much and both got chosen to sort of show it to the rest of the school, which is a real great honour, our, our two individual uh, one person shows. We thought we like this and we particularly engaged with our Shakespeare, uh, Shakespeare tutor, uh, an amazing lady called Judith Jick who was about 93 in 1983, so bless her. Um, but anyway, so we did a two-handed one, I think of Ariel and Prospero. And we, we realised that, I mean, even though we'd been in the same class together for a long time and done odd bits and pieces, we worked really well together and, and we enjoyed working together. So that became, uh, I mean, we were together as a couple by then anyway. Um, and so after we left drama college, it became very uh, obvious that if we wanted to work as actors, apart from odd bits here and there, we both appeared in various productions at the Young Vic or other places, you know, national tours and things, that we needed to create our own company, which we did. We literally invested 90 pounds in creating our own company. This is wow. 1986. Uh, and that £90 was spent in getting to a brochure together. This is pre-internet. My God. Pre-internet days. Um, and we put a brochure together of all the things that we could do. We sent it out and we had something like a 60% return on bookings on that one mail out that we That's did. That's extraordinary. Crazy. I mean, I can't imagine that happening You know, these days. Yes. And so um, just to help us understand, because obviously I've spoken to Adrian at um, Hot Buckle already, who mm -hmm. is my husband and I run mm -hmm. Hot Buckle with him. But our company is very different to yours. Yours is a, has a much bigger production value historically, but you've now, however, it didn't in the beginning. So give yeah. us a bit of an idea of the kind of the the size, if you like, of the company and the kinds of shows that you have been doing up until now? Okay, so the, the size currently that we're at is that we produce two main tours a year, one, two national tours. So one is in the summer in the open air and tens, well, in recent years, it's, it's been about sort of a 70% open air, 30% indoor uh, production of Shakespeare. Uh, and that happens every summer. And then in the winter, um, since about 1994, we've been doing um, uh, productions of classic tales, which have been um, in theatres. Uh, that's again about, has traditionally been about three months tour. The summer is about three months. Then in between that, there's lots of other work as well. So we, we have had a rec regular commitment to Chatsworth House uh, to provide their actors uh, for interpretation. And that's a sort of seven day a week gig, uh, twice a year uh, for about three months. 
Um, and then apart from that, there is a lot of corporate work as well over the years we've, that we've really, that's gone up and down actually, as recessions have hit and come out of recessions and then recessions have hit. We've gone through three recessions, national, you know, recessions in our time and survived them all to date. Um, and uh, so the, yeah, the corporate work comes in and that's a big bonus. And at once upon a time, for a short window of time, our corporate work was subsidising our touring work. And then in recent years, it's been the other way around. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So it's a, it's a big, it's a big production. As big as, as big as one could get, considering our scale of staffing. Yes. Couldn't get any bigger than that. You and Andy perform alongside these actors you employ. You do one tour, he does another. How does that work? Uh, in recent years, it's been more actually Andy doing both because that does all the tours. Uh, and I say here, um, it, it's varied from years to years. We used to tour both of them together, and then we had children, and so it became. And for a while, we took with just one son. We toured uh, still together and took a nanny with us. And then when, when Felix became old enough, he had to go to school and with our second child arrived, uh, it became evident that we couldn't tour together all the time, you know, couldn't go on the road for the whole time unless we had a big structure. So we shared it. So I would traditionally go out on the winter tour, Andy would go out on the summer tour, then we'd swap round. In more recent years, everything else that's come in with it, the Chatsworth work and everything else has meant that actually we've needed somebody consistent in the office. Yeah. It was a decision that, that uh, well, I think if Andy were in the office, you know, full time, he'd just, I'd come home and find him under the, under the floorboards. It would just, yeah. you know, not be his bag at all. Whereas it's much more mine. So it varies yeah. still. I mean, the last time I went out on tour was a couple of years ago. Okay, so that's great. I think we've got a really good picture of what we needed to know to then help us understand a little bit about how. COVID-19 has affected you. So, uh, yes, tell us, what has changed for you? What's changed is there's no work, literally no work, <laughs> from being really busy, from producing four major projects and small other projects, like smaller scale shows uh, and one-offs and education workshops. Uh, various bits and pieces that we come in, bits of corporate, to nothing. There is no work. There is no work. So a few, and he's answering this email now, unfortunately, but a few of the... <laughs> I'm listening. Uh, yeah, a few of the uh, bookers who were very, very supportive um, said, listen, because uh, often people paid us up front, um, real regular bookers, they said, keep it, you know, in the hope that we go on next year and that was very generous of them. Others have said, keep the deposit over to next year, which is about 20% 20, 20 of, of a booking fee. Uh, and then very many others contacted and said, we can't honor this at all. You know, you're gonna to have to send back whatever we've sent you already. And uh, so would you say it was a little bit of sort of seeing, seeing a building crumbling before your very eyes? Uh, it was like dominoes and we held out because we have, we have other companies of a similar nature, although we are all very different, but within that kind, even within the arts, there are different sorts of genres, obviously. And with, there's a particular 
thing which is open air touring and a, a group of companies that, that often either work together or against each other but there are two or three that we work quite closely together and we keep in contact and we were all in touch with each other and, but quite early on um companies were cancelling their tours very and quickly yeah. very yeah really quickly and we didn't because we were hopeful that it would you know possibly all clear up by the summertime and I thought if if ever there's a chance of any performances going on they'll be in the open air but gradually we started to have more and more conversations and more and more venues were struggling because obviously some of our performances are indoors uh, and some are outdoors and we're also over in the Channel Islands and they have an, they had an individual kind of uh, quarantine um, need uh, and so we were we were coming into sort of discussions about whether they would be quarantining and all sorts of things and then when it came to sort of May time I think we had a few conversations and reached a point of saying do we do anything or do we do nothing mm. um, and to do anything would whether it be a small scale or whether it be a large scale financially the risk from smaller audiences risk to health of uh, of the actors getting ill um and that affecting everybody in terms of them all of us having to isolate um the risk was really high and so we just couldn't see how we could do it financially and also, Andy, on top of that, you have a daughter who is high risk. Yeah. Um, so therefore, it wasn't just thinking about all of that and the liability of the actors and et cetera. You had to think about Charlie as well within that, didn't you? Definitely. And I, we have had numerous discussions as a business and as a family about the, the, the social um attitudes of people and of the company and of us and i know that if we didn't have charlie and if felix our eldest um didn't have a you know a girlfriend who was also high risk i think i would have taken this probably less seriously and been oh gung-ho we'll go out and we'll yeah. show them what for yeah. and it's made me personally think a lot more about the impact and it isn't just about the social responsibility of it yeah the, the, the fact that it's not just about well i'm all right mm. we're, we're all right our little network it's about yeah but what if people they're connected to aren't all mm. right mm. there's a social responsibility to that as well and what if what if somebody had come along to a performance and we had been responsible for for creating a performance which became a super spreader yeah you know, how would we feel then yeah um so it was it we've had some really really intense and thoughtful discussions um mm. and, and i'm glad we have um because it's a complex situation and i think the complexity often isn't covered in the media what this is this is a very co different conversation the conversation that we thought we were we might have been having today isn't it andy and ellie do you want to tell us what's happened recently 
Oh yes, yeah. We, uh, we well, yeah, a we, world first. What for odd socks? A world first. Yeah. We yeah. were basically and very gratefully awarded funding under the Cultural Recovery Fund from the Arts Council, Arts Council England, and really taken us by surprise. And uh, well, you were you absolutely had made the decision in your head that you weren't going to guess it, hadn't you? Mm. And I, I think one of the motivations um, for applying, we were talking about the sort of the social media, the, the way the pandemic has been talked about out loud in society. As soon as, you know, the Chancellor announced 1.57 million to rescue the arts, billion, billion you know, then suddenly everybody says, oh, the arts is fine. Yeah, the arts is fine, absolutely fine. Nothing to worry about. But when you think, I don't know what the statistics are about how many billions the arts, when you include museums, venues, cinemas, uh, heritage sites, and everything that is included within that, how many billions it brings in over year, in revenue. VAT alone. But in a way, because of that, I wanted to sort of go, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure we won't get any of it, but we're going to apply because we want to be in the experience uh, of, of we are part of the arts world. Yeah, you are, and, are part of our culture. I mean, yes, yeah. and, and, and in a way it was like we, what we say is just as relevant as, as anyone else says. And, and, and the, the poignant thing I think for me is that, is that one of those venues that I mentioned earlier that said, listen, keep it, you know, for next year, keep your entire fee for this year, for through to next year is a venue that's a, a friends group in, in mm. the centre of Leeds where we perform for free for the local people who otherwise might not have access to theatre right and so I feel a responsibility that that to stay a, around for mm. organisations like that who have supported our work for the last 10-15 years we've gone every year to this organisation and they were one of those organisations that said look you know Keep it. So I think we have a duty of care to stay in business. Yeah. yeah. Where where were you? Tell us where you were at last week when we spoke. Selling our house. Yeah, we've 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 gone through um, a summer of dealing without it, living on reserves, managing to do a few performances. We we got some film work. We got a little bit of um, theatre, outdoor theatre work where we locally, were able to locally didn't have to stay anywhere didn't have to worry about socially distancing worked in a small family bubble um and then when all that finished we went right we haven't got anything now until june and even that's diminishing <laughs> and it yeah and so it suddenly well gradually came upon us that we can't continue to pay the mortgage and have anything left to even think about retirement um, in the future and so perhaps we need to you know think about moving and the assets that we've got and our is our house yeah so we uh, we yeah we decided to put the house on the market but things have it's funny it's funny how uh life happens when you start to push against things or start to open up and let things in, I don't know, yeah. um, that we've already seen a, a property that we're, we've fallen in love with. And, um, and would allow us to continue working and having more control over our environment as well, mm. because up to, to over recent years, we haven't had a venue 
uh, rehearsal venue of our own we've just not been able to afford even with our full scope of work we've not been able to afford a rehearsal venue unless we sort of rent it and that's really hard to find the space locally uh, which we need um, in terms of size and also availability uh, and being able to pay for it. Exclusivity as well. Exclusivity because it, for lots of various reasons we won't go into but it, it, uh, it has been really hard so this place that we're looking at offers the potential of a rehearsal room with it which would just be brilliant um, yeah. so we're having a go for it. Yeah. I think that you know. I think that's been um, amazing for us, having moved up yeah. to Shropshire from London, and again finding that rehearsal space. It's so expensive, but as you say, it's the exclusivity. You have to pack everything up at the end of the day. If it has to go, you know, the the, mm -hmm. the kind of the the stress of that and not being able to just leave stuff, come back to it the next day, or what have you. I mean, that's on very simple terms, but you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah, the luxury of that, of having your own space is just so brilliant. And it also means, I mean, I spoke to Andy Chevalier um, yesterday, who was one of the actors who worked with us um, when we first moved up here. And he said, you know, the experience, and it used to be like when we stayed with you guys at the beginning, you know, the experience of living and working together is so valuable because it means you can have a less uh, sort of stressful you know hours of rehearsal because actually you finish at four o'clock and then people sort of organically start to work together again or yeah. go and do what they need to do personally as an actor to to then move on so you've got that room to really kind of grow together and create something i, I think that's really important and i think that's the difference Gemma. actually over recent years with, with things when we first moved up from london and went to a place in in a bit further up north Derbyshire and you came and worked with us and Adrian and that I, I sort of think of those all we had our difficulties you know that was a stressful time as well but a sort of golden years because we were at an age where we were happy to, to all live together with the actors as well even though it was a challenge in that our children were young and little and you know we had that as well like you say it was it was the camaraderie it's the fact that people come back and then they play around the piano and start building stuff and there was that's never we've never quite been able to recreate that yeah. since we've had a situation where we've rented a rehearsal room yeah. and everyone's gone off home or to their digs at absolutely the end of the day. absolutely so i'm so excited for you i i hope i will be praying for you next <laughs> thursday because what we haven't mentioned is that this place that you've fallen in love with you are going to have to sit in an auction room and yes. bid for. <laughs> yes, yes, well, a virtual auction room, yeah. uh, indeed. And so, uh, and it's the first lot, so it'll all be done by eleven thirty. So yeah. we'll know whether our future is determined. Um, you know, but and, in a way, and, in a way it, you know, we've already said this, Ellie. It doesn't really matter if you don't get it. Yes, it will be really sad, but you've already made the decisions now. So the adventure yeah. is beginning. That's it. That's it. And I th and, and going back to talking about working together, I think it's going to become potentially even more important next year with bubbles yeah. and, and that biosecurity requirement um, that it may well be that we have to bubble together, travel together as a bubble. Yeah. Who knows? One of the, I remember distinctly one of the conversations we had about the coronavirus and it's and everybody's got a different opinion about what matters whether it be wearing masks, where it be uh, washing the shopping that gets delivered, whether it be going into shops or staying outdoors and all sorts of things like that. But trust was a huge thing. And being able to work with people that 
you can trust. Yeah. You know, um, that they're not going to nip off to the pub or something as simple as that. Um, that that's going to be crucial. I mean, it's always been an integral part of a company feel, um, but it's going to become even more important, I think, yeah. mm. you know, over the next mm. year or so. So going back then to the, the change, and last week you were feeling not so positive. Was there ever a point, um, do you think, since COVID and since everything that's happened, that you've actually thought about changing careers or diversifying oh yeah and not just during this you know but i I remember a time that was about i suppose it was about eight years ago uh when the last recession Mm. 2008 no where we literally had decided hadn't we and we came in this room or or, and we sat down we thought right okay what else can we do and we looked on like the guardian jobs advert or the local advert for for, and thought wow qualified for any of that you know it was purely that we felt neither of us were qualified or experienced in in the traditional ways to get any other work so we thought we'll have to carry on (laughs) yeah we did and then uh, with COVID, definitely, we've thought, well, we're going to have to think of something else because there, you know, there isn't this, and that may still happen. You know, mm. uh, there's no, there's no more security on it. Who knows how long this thing's going to go on for? Well, I was going to say also the funding you put, you have to spend that by March. So if this yeah. goes on for another year, is you'll be in the same position next year. So absolutely. Um, yeah. um, and one of the questions I asked Ado actually was because we got funding right at the beginning. And I said to him, you know, is this, do you think this is your only lifeline? You know, is, is, do you feel like that was it? And mm. he said, yes, he, he thinks, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to just keep plowing money in. Mm. Um, so it, it's, yes, it's wonderful, but it's no less terrifying. It's no less terrifying. I mean, there are so many businesses to get through. I mean, every time, every day on the news, on you know, you, you hear of every section of, of, of every industry. I mean, the hospitality industry, the events industry, everybody's saying we're left out. We're being left out of this. Mm. Um, I think the arts in particular has been hit. I mean, everybody's going to say that about their industry, but I think the arts in particular, because of, of the number of freelance people that are involved in the arts, uh, yes, they might have had some opportunity to get some self-employed uh, income back, but you know, getting sixty percent of effectively maybe the five thousand pounds you've earned in that year, it leaves you with very little. You know, it means that you do have to think of something else and do something else. You know, and I think there's a lot of hidden jobs in the arts industry that you you see the people on stage or on the screen, but you do not see the hundreds of jobs behind them yeah. from catering catering to you know office staff to crew to, you, know, you name it yeah um it, it's it's a real knock-on to, to yeah. the owners of the properties that the, you know rent out yeah. locations that are just mm. everything to the grumpy man at the stage door yes. yeah in particular although he's probably doing fine now he's probably sitting there as a security guard yes. <laughs> I do, I, no, I've got to be here and I can't let you in. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how do you, so, I mean, you've touched on it a little bit, but how, how do you feel the UK has reacted uh, to the arts in particular and, and the needs thereof? 
I do not think they understand us. Uh, I don't think the government understands us. And I think um, the relationship between arts companies and the government is a, is a difficult one because they don't understand us. And I think, I think it's the same with a lot of sections of society um, that the, the, the government ministers have got a plan and if you don't fit their plan, they haven't got the time or the inclination to try and understand why you don't fit their plan. And I mean, I think this has been shown with the whole um, funding for Manchester and lockdown and arguments. And, and to be honest, right from, um, you know, Dominic Cummings lying in the Rose Garden and to, you know, there's just a general misunderstanding of how ordinary people feel and think about this situation. Yeah. Is my feeling. And um, we're not alone. We are absolutely not alone. Um, and I don't think as a country we've handled it particularly well. Yeah. And I think also um, it was very interesting right at the begin, right at the beginning when there were, I can't remember what they were called, but these uh, uh, tax relief um or the furlough scheme and the all of yeah but i we just found that we just fell bet between all the cracks yeah. because yeah, yeah. we weren't paying overheads or because yeah. we weren't i don't know it was so confusing we, we've we found exactly that, that the precise why we were in that desperate situation of having to sell the house because we didn't qualify for any of those either and i, I think that comes down to the perception uh, that you were rates, talking about business rates we don't pay like yourselves i guess we don't pay business rates because we don't have offices and yeah. you know those things like even if we did a, a, a you know rent a rehearsal room, we'd only be using it twice a year, really, for, for projects. So it didn't make sense financially. Yeah. So we didn't pay rent business rates, so we didn't qualify for any grants with regard to the business grants. Um, the 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 dividend, uh, the, the fact that we take dividends from our company. I don't know whether that's something that you do, but that's something that we've always done. The the directors who take dividends weren't covered by any funding because I think I can only presume it's because I think that it, the thoughts that people that the government have about people who take dividends is that they take loads out of the company you know yeah. it's a bit of a a, a, a bit of a under you know behind the door sort of getting creaming loads off the company yeah that's just not true as yeah. arts organizations we know we only take that money if there's excess that absolutely. we can afford to take, don't take a regular i think you're absolutely right and i think there's a real kind of misunderstanding of the, what yeah. the word dividends means yeah. actually in that sense mm. because yes i mean for me somebody's talking about taking dividends it does feel like they're kind of their cream they're taking the cream off the top but actually that's not it and as you say you know adrian literally would pay everybody else before yeah. he yes. paid himself exactly yeah. that that's what you do you know yeah. we've always felt that it's always been important to us to to pay our subcontractors yeah. on time regardless of whether the client pays us absolutely and that is that's the way you and, and again actually another huge problem that we face uh companies like us is cash flow yeah yeah 
that yeah. is another enormous problem. Yeah, you're um, rehearsing for a, th you know, well, two and a half week is all we could afford, a two and a half week period. You're rehearsing for that time. Your is your highest cost. You're paying for your set design, your costume design. Yeah. You 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 you're paying for your props, your premises, your your rehearsal room. You you're you're paying deposits for accommodation for the tour and for your actors' wages, and you have nothing coming in. We had reserves for our next production, our winter production, um, that yeah. that we would be using for rehearsal and for paying wages, and that's what we were living off. So that's why we were eating into the future yeah. of our company. Yeah. Mm. How do you? see live events panning out what about this time next year what do you think is going to happen i think um i think there will and is a desire for live events more and more and i think um barring an absolutely catastrophic second and third wave i think there will be a desire to put stuff on whether the infrastructure of venues will still be around, whether um, whether there will be almost a glut, which means that people won't be able to afford to do everything. So you uh, know, there might not be a financial. Uh, they might not be financially successful. Um, my my feeling is I think that it'll be very, very slimmed down, whatever happens, because I think there won't be a range of companies because the only companies that will be able to, to do the work in terms of touring will be the companies that A, have had funding and have survived, or B, are very small uh, and without low overheads and outgoings. Um, and that sort of middle ground won't be there, and nor will the unusual venues. You know, that, so I think whatever will be out there will be very traditional and very streamlined. Oh, right. so I, I don't think I can't see that there will be personally much kind of variety. I think there will still be the same amount of variety, but not the same amount of venues, stroke bookings, mm. stroke audience. Mm. Because I think I think who survives out of this is a little bit random. Mm. Uh, in terms of you know whether they get funding whether they've got a kind of venue that can do this and diversify and you know have a bit of that um i just don't see our i mean we most a lot of our venues and certainly a lot of other companies venues who do similar work to us are run by you know, uh, brilliant old retirees who used to do this, that and the other and have got a community spirit and are prepared to stick the necks out and put something on. And that's my fear is that people like that are kind of, you know, festival runners, the Richard Phillips of the world who runs the Leamington's Festival, you know, who should have retired 20 years ago and, but isn't, you know, I can't see people like that having the funding or the inclination or being around. Yeah, or the energy, I, think, I, I yeah. feel like the mm. I feel like we've had the stuffing knocked out of us a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I, I agree with that, yeah. So what what does Odd Socks look like this time next year? Good question. Um, it will be slimmed down. I think it will be because the risk um, of having seven people on tour is is greater than having five people on tour, I think. And um, 
that it will need to be efficient because there's a possibility that audiences will be smaller um because of social distancing absolutely and actually that's something we didn't just mention it's all very well talking about what theatre will look like but will there be the audiences so yeah i think the desire will be there um whether the money will be there from audiences if there's lots of unemployment uh and mm -hmm. whether the space will be there to get that many people in yeah but i imagine that we're going to have to amplify our performances so that we can cover a bigger space with the same amount of audience and with fewer performers with fewer performers um but i i think i i'm looking at a five-year time scale to get anything like back to normal wow i think that's wow. that's where it's got to go yeah it won't be back to normal next year no um if you could do it all again if at the beginning of lockdown knowing what you know now would you have done anything differently um i would have paid for a music teacher personally i didn't <laughs> because i was saving money and what do you um, mean paid for a music teacher to do what teach me a, oh. an instrument i would have <laughs> finally nail that trumpet yeah oh, anything <laughs> anything i would have i feel i feel like i feel like i've moved on as a person you mean you haven't upskilled throughout this andy you no i feel like friends. i should have upskilled and that really annoys me that's really I, interesting but um, i do feel like i've developed as a person yeah okay yes I, I do actually as well uh feel like you've developed as a person <laughs> um uh, how have you guys kept yourselves motivated uh, by keeping busy and I, I've realized that I mean we've all learned things about oneself and, and ourselves and I've realized that, that my romantic notion about having time to do stuff is actually doesn't work for me I realize you know I have to finally admit that I'm better when I have a project yeah. this sort of second wave I feel now that I Whereas before I felt very kind of directionless. I'm feeling quite focused now about achieving things. It's almost like a, mm. now the second wave's come. I'm kind of feeling right. Actually, okay, I am going to make use of this time now because it's clearly the holiday's over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what makes you the saddest about the current situation? Uh, my the, for me the saddest thing is um, the 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 lack of thought and care that many have for others you know mm. by far it's outweighed by those who do think uh, about others and that's you know i'm sure that that statistically there are more people who are aware of the situation that's the saddest thing for yeah them. yeah i think it has been um it, it is the lack of care and the lack of wanting to care and the simplification of it all Oh, it, you know, it's about economy. No, it's about deaths. No, it's about economy. No, it's about deaths. Or, you know, it's just the, it's a really, really small-minded way of looking at stuff. And, you know, the, the economy is shot to bits. It's not going to be helped. 
but there's been some people and some companies that have done really well out of it. Um, but I'm damn sure they won't want to share any of what they've you no. know, made. What would you like your legacy to be? Now, by that, I mean, in 30 years time, there you are sitting in your rocking chair, hopefully <laughs> with a brood of grandchildren around you. Um, <laughs> What is it that you would like to look back on the, the last 30 years and have achieved by then? Great question. Mm. Yeah, I, we, it's the sort of question that we often think about and have talks about, really. And a few weeks ago, I don't think I would have been able to answer it as, as easily as I feel like I can now. But for a long time, um, I was proudest of the fact that we'd run a company for 20 odd 30 odd years and been able to bring up children whilst running a theatre company so we've earned a living doing what we trained to do which is artistic and it's creative and that was that was good for a while but then I started to think yeah but what kind of life are our kids gonna have in this world of low pay, uh, difficult to find housing, things like that. But more recently, I think I've learned that what's important is being you, being yourself, and promoting the fact that everyone needs to just chill out and be themselves and get off this rat race. A little bit and if we are able to maintain a living by being creative and supporting family and giving them confidence to believe in what they do and what they feel then the more we can spread that to other people as well the better so I think it's about no great legacy other than being proud of being ourselves and doing what we chose to do yeah. yeah absolutely i think that's lovely um and also i think you know important to mention that a legacy doesn't have to be about um anything other than giving people a lot of joy you've spent 30 years you know doling out quite a bit of laughter yeah um, but also it, it's that it's enabling and empowering people to make decisions for themselves so that yes we, we've you know we have done the the audience joy thing and that's great and I love that but the people that have worked for us have brought a lot to us mm. and you know we've we without trying have been an influence on their lives because they've had an experience, yes, you know, absolutely. and they take from that experience what they choose to take. And some people have, you know, gone with it and flown with it, and others have gone, I'll put that back in the, <laughs> in the closet and go somewhere else, you know. But I've had conversations with people who, who say, you know, I've become an actor because I saw a show you did, or I still remember that first gig that we did, or, you know, the friendships that we built um, you know, working together uh, just lasted a lifetime. Yeah, like our friendships with you. Yeah. You know, we can we can name 
you know, th three or four groups of people who, who are friends with each other, mm. uh, more, yeah. who, you know, may not have met had it not been for what was created by us all. Absolutely. And I think that's an incredible legacy. I really do. Mm. You should be very proud. Well, it's in, in a way, it's almost, it's there by, by understanding, not by mm. striving to do that. We didn't sort of set out no. to change people's lives. But we have just, and I'm learning this even more, you almost don't have to try, you just have to do. And it, and it you know, affects people. We're very similar, even though we're very different in terms of our companies, because you've had people who have met and had children. Yeah. Yeah. You've had a hot you've buckle wedding. Hot buckle baby. We've had a hot buckle baby. And we've got a second hot buckle baby on its way. How many odd socks babies have you got? 11. <gasps> 11. That's so great. And not just with the one couple either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you look very good on it, Gemma. <laughs> <laughs> when we had our 25th anniversary party, it was so lovely. And, and that's what helped me realise how, you know, people that worked for us for a certain time when they were a certain age, they bonded so well with each other. And whilst they don't work for us anymore, we're still in touch, but they're in touch with each other so yeah. much as good friends and stuff yeah. and, and it's lovely and it we keep crossing paths you know throughout um and that's that's lovely that's all you can ask for isn't it really brilliant yeah totally agree thank you so much for talking to me today it's been so fabulous to hear your perspective on things and i'm so happy for you that you've got this money from the arts council finally well deserved okay don't spend it all at once no 